from the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio. This is In Black America. There have been all sorts of adjustments. I guess one of the biggest ones is, is that yeah, I think you can honestly say that the big three are what used to be called the big three, which would be Ford, Chrysler, and General Motors are no longer the dominant automakers anymore. It's not that they're not major players, they are. But you've got Volkswagen Group, that's and that's the other thing that's changed, is that, uh, well, first of all, you've got the Volkswagen Group, you got Toyota, certainly the Japanese automakers. But in that particular sense, they are just as influential in terms of the jobs and the dollars and the products that are created. The other thing is that you've got groups, okay, themselves. Because before you didn't have groups, you know, there was just that individual automaker. Frank S. Washington, managing partner and editor of AboutThatCar.com. AboutThatCar.com is all things automotive. The website featured columns on diversity in the automotive industry, safety issues, regulation affairs, people profiles, and featured stories and reports on all related automotive matters. Today's automobile industry is not your grandfather's auto industry. Things have changed a lot over the years. The big three, Ford, Chrysler, and General Motors, no longer dominate the industry. With mobile devices a part of the global population, the industry has effectively succeeded their dashboards to Google and Apple. Hybrid cars are becoming more popular, and self-driving cars are in the rearview mirror. I'm Johnny O'Hanson Jr. and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, The Future in the Automobile Industry with Frank S. Washington, managing partner and editor of AboutThatCar.com in Black America. To a great degree, women are the driving force behind crossovers. You know, it's an interesting thing. Talk to most women. They will not call a sport utility vehicle a sport utility. They will not call a crossover a crossover. To women, you know, in terms of linguistically, if you will, if that even applies. <laughs> a crossover is a truck. That's what they call it. When they say, I'm going to get my truck, they're talking about sport utility. And women still drive 80% Mm-hmm. Of, of the basket. First of all, they back 50% of the products, maybe a little bit more than 50%, but for the sake of this, we'll say 50%. Then they uh, influence another 25 to 30%. Now you're up to 80% because, you know, if you're a guy and you're married and you want to buy, let's just say, well, anything, and, and your wife says no, that's not coming in the garage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, okay. So, yeah, you talk about 75 80% of the market. According to auto industry experts, by 2020, growing digitalization and advancement in technology will have increased the automotive industry investment to $82 billion. The industry has learned that they must meet consumer demands for a digitally enhanced experience when they are researching, purchasing, and operating a vehicle. Frank S. Washington has been following the automotive industry for more than three decades. He has spent a great deal of time covering the industry for African Americans on wheel, auto executive, automotive news, automotive news marketer, Savoy, Wars Auto World, Wars Automotive Report, Wars Dealer Business, the Detroit News Online, and the Detroit News. When Washington began covering the auto industry, there were only three big companies. That has changed. They are now auto groups. On a recent visit to the Motor City in Black America, spoke with Washington. I was born, uh, I was born in Lafayette, Louisiana. I was raised in Chicago, 
there's a story behind that. Should I tell you? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, my, my both my parents, uh, uh, my mother's from Lafayette, my father's from Hammond, Louisiana. They married uh, and went to Chicago for their honeymoon, mm -hmm. and decided to stay. Yeah. Now I don't know where they went back and got any clothes <laughs> or what, mm -hmm. uh, because before I had sense enough to ask them, they had both moved on. But anyway, like I said, they decided to stay in uh, that uh, of, of, of how should I say people of that generation. My mom decided, or they decided, for her to go back to Louisiana to have me, uh, and so actually. I was uh, probably the last of one of the dying breeds in the sense that I was actually born in a house. We stayed down there for a couple of weeks, came back to Chicago, and that's where I was raised. What was life like growing up in Chicago? Life was interesting in, in, in this, well, life is always interesting. But in the sense of, uh, uh, they say, you know, we moved around the first year of life for me, mm -hmm. and then we, she settled on... Uh, uh, 514 West 56th Street on the south side of Chicago. And we lived there till I was 16, mm -hmm. you know, which was a pretty long time. Most of the houses there were either rented or bought, mm -hmm. or people were buying them. So I pretty much went to grammar school with the same group of people, right. you know, as, as the years, years uh, by. went mm -hmm. by. But, you know, I, I've got a hardcore group of friends that we're still friends mm -hmm. uh, in the mm -hmm. sense of I was, I was just in Chicago a few months ago. And ran across some of them, and you know it's kind of one of those things when you, when you, when you're friends with somebody, and they they you know, we had babies together, we mm -hmm. we had bought our first cars together, got our first jobs together, right. all these we had our first girlfriends together, broke our first hearts mm -hmm. together, right. or had our hearts <laughs> broken. <together. laughs> yeah, you know, when you when you grew up with people like that, it, it never changes. I mean, there are some some of them I haven't seen. In years, but it's like you. It's like just pick up yeah, where you left off the last up, time pick, you saw. Pick up exactly where you left off, and I can talk and tell them things that I just don't, you know, talk and tell anybody else. You know, mm -hmm. not that it's a secret, but it's just like you know, it's like family. When did you develop that interest in journalism? You know, it was a lucky guess. You know, mm -hmm. I I was one of those people who uh, went. Uh, how should I say? I went to school three three different times. When I say school, I'm talking about college. I went to uh, I went to uh, college in uh, uh, at Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, the first two times I just couldn't acclimate myself. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the, where I grew up, as I say on 56th Street, that was such a uh, a cocoon because mm -hmm. uh, there was a railroad track with a big trussle on. Uh, one block uh, on one side and another railroad track on the other side. You know, about one block or there were about two blocks in between them. And uh, so, like I say, it was just a, you know, just a, a, a almost a, you could say spiritual place. But anyway, when I got to uh, Bad Rouge, I just couldn't, I couldn't adjust. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I, I was not very outgoing, still not very outgoing. And so, you know, uh, each time I stayed, for just one semester and came mm -hmm. back home. Mm -hmm. Then the third time I went, you know, I remember telling my mother, you know, I said, you know, if I could just put two semesters <laughs> together, <laughs> I could do this, <laughs> you know. So my goal was just get two semesters. That's why I went. I mean, you know, that was my goal to get two semesters. When, and after that second semester, it came time to pick a major. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
you know, I, I use how should you say prerequisites. The, uh, the first one was I didn't want I wanted to be able to do something anywhere I went. Mm -hmm. You know, the second one was that I wanted the field itself to be so broad there were any number of things I could do within that field. The third one was I wanted something where I was well paid. And as I say, you know, in terms of totally all that up, it popped up journalism. And, and uh, you know, I've been able to move all over the country. I've done a number of different things, but I pretty much have stuck in with print journalism. And so two out of three ain't bad. Because <laughs> there was not a lot of money. Yeah. But it was a decent, at times, it, it, it's been a decent dollar for real. And that's how I really picked journalism. It wasn't because of the love of the craft. It was because of what I thought it would do for me. Because in a sense, you know, I'm a, I have a short attention span. You know, uh, uh, if, if I'm coming in doing basically, at least my concept then was doing basically everything uh, from, from 9 to 5, I'll get bored real quick mm -hmm. and be unhappy real quick. So I wanted something where there was something different, something new to do. And, and uh, uh, journalism has, uh, has proved to be uh, that entity for me. How did you settle on the automotive industry? Again, it's, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, God watches out. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> God, yeah, because mm -hmm. uh, God said, "Well, let me help this fool mm -hmm. again." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and what happened was, uh, uh, you know, how should you say? I got hired by Newsweek, and and basically the slot was in Detroit. And it was an interesting thing in terms of the way the guy said. He says, "Well, we want to bring you in as a full correspondent." Blah 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 blah. He says, "But." And they, there was a but, but the job is in Detroit, mm -hmm. you know, and that was a downside, you know, uh, for, for, from his perspective. And well, you know, to me, you know, because where was I? I was in Atlanta. Okay. And uh, uh, from, from my perspective, two months ago, they had just put an eviction notice on my door. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was a classic struggling freelance writer. Uh -huh. So it's like, when I talked about, you know, I could still see that eviction notice. <laughs> Well, I saw, saw that image of that eviction. I like, where's the ticket? <laughs> uh -huh. And when I got here, uh, you know, the bureau chief at the time was riding me around and uh, showing me the city and this kind of stuff. And after about 15 minutes, I said, oh, I'm back in urban America. Mm -hmm. And y'all was comfortable. But back to your original question in terms of the auto industry, the bureau chief, uh, who was a woman and his relative because of this, calls me into her office. Because uh, she had been on the road doing the presidential uh, uh, campaign. Her candidate had lost in the primaries. So anyway, she calls me into her office. She says, well, Frank, when, uh, when you're in a territory and you've got a major industry, you know, a or a primary industry uh, in, in, in the territory, it falls on the bureau chief to cover it. Mm -hmm. She says, but, uh, she says, uh, I think automotive executives are uh, a bunch of sexist pigs. That's a quote. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I think uh, automotive executives are a bunch of se sexist pigs. So you do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so, okay, what am I gonna say? I've been there two months. You know, I'm just happy to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I said, well, okay. And I turned out of the office. I'm walking out of the office, and uh, and, and she said to me, she says, look, she says, uh, don't spend a lot of time on it, but just keep an eye on it. Mm -hmm. And that's what she told me. That was like 30 years ago. 30 still years keeping ago. the eye on. Still keeping the eye on. 30 years ago and a couple of million words at least, you know. And that's, and that's how it started. Uh, and, you know, during one of, the, one of the early stories I was working on, I learned or didn't learn 
just how big it is. Mm -hmm. Because what I tried to do is, I don't know what I was working on, but I was trying to come up with a number for how much, yeah, how much money the auto industry generated. And I couldn't, you know, because I was looking at the global industry, and I didn't know what I knew now, but I'd say easily uh, uh, during the course of an annual year or a year annually, talking about a trillion dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, if you look at the auto companies themselves and the suppliers, right. now you're talking about a trillion dollars. And that's just revenue. That's not jobs and all of that. Mm -hmm. And ripple effect through the economy. A lot of money. Anyway. If you're just joining us, I'm Johnny L. Hanson, Jr., and you're listening to In Black America from KUT Radio and speaking with Frank Washington, owner of AboutThatCar.com. In your 30 years, Frank, how has the industry changed? We knew they would have some financial difficulties, but overall, how has the industry adjusted to the times? There have been all sorts of adjustments. I guess one of the biggest ones is, is that yeah, I think you can honestly say that the big three are what used to be called the big three, which would be Ford, Chrysler, and General Motors, are no longer the dom dominant automakers mm -hmm. anymore. It's not that they're not major players. They are. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, you've got Volkswagen. The Volkswagen Group, that's, and that's the other th thing that's changed, uh, is that, uh, well, first of all, you've got the Volkswagen Group, you got Toyota. I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, certainly the Japanese automakers. But in, in, in that particular sense, they are just as influential in terms of the jobs and the dollars and the products uh, that, that, that are uh, created. Uh, the other thing is that you've got groups okay. Okay, themselves. Because mm -hmm. before you didn't have groups. Uh, you know, there was just that individual automaker. Uh, but Volkswagen, for instance, Volkswagen owns what? Lamborghini? I okay. think Volkswagen owns Ferrari. I think Volkswagen on what is Volkswagen on? They own uh, they own Rolls Royce or Bentley, one mm -hmm. of the two. Because uh -huh. uh, the BMW Group mm -hmm. owns the other one. Okay. I think the B yeah I think it's the BMW Group owns Rolls Royce, mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, uh, Volkswagen owns Bentley. Oh, Bentley. You know, and and so as I say, that's the other thing you didn't see was groups. I think uh, automakers, uh, to a great degree, have learned that the uh, the industry is no longer uh, uh, dominated. When I say dominated, it's no longer manufacturer driven. Mm -hmm. It's now customer driven. The customer is king, you know, and and that's uh, uh, that's evidenced today by the fact that the auto industry is no longer no longer about cars. So what is it about? Crossovers. Oh, okay. That would be. That would be those cars, well, I'm using cars generically, but that would be those vehicles you see that look like sport utilities, mm. okay? Because mm -hmm. the crossover is basically a sport utility, but it's unibody construction. A true sport utility is body on frame, where they build the body, they build the chassis separately, and then they drop the body down on chassis. But I, as a matter of fact, I was talking to who? I was on a program for Lexus the other day, and... Uh, 68, yeah, I think it was 68.9% of its sales are crossovers. Mm -hmm. uh, the last number I saw, something like 60, 62, yeah, let's say low 60s uh, in terms of percentages, uh, generally speaking, are crossovers. People want, uh, uh, crossovers have become the, become the station wagons of the 1950s. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that, that's a huge change because now you've got automakers scrambling uh, to 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 produce 
crossovers to meet this, uh, to meet the market demand. Because if you if you uh, if if your lineup, and I'm talking about if you're manufacturing your lineups dominated uh, by sedans, you're in a lot of trouble. trouble. Okay. You know, simply because people are just not buying them. Not not the way they used to. The last time we spoke, you said that women were the major decision-making person in the household when one goes to purchase a vehicle. Is that still holds true? Still true. <laughs> still true. Because to a great degree, women women uh, are the driving force behind crossovers. Okay. Uh, uh, because, you know, it's an interesting thing. Talk to most women. They will not call a sport utility vehicle a sport utility. They will not call a crossover a mm -hmm. crossover. To women... You know, in terms of, of, of uh, uh, linguistically, if you will, if that even applies. <laughs> but, you know, a crossover is a truck. That's what they call them. That's what they call them. They, 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 when they say, I'm going to get my truck, they're talking about a sport utility. And women still drive 80% mm -hmm. of, of the baskets. First of all, they buy 50% of the products, maybe a little bit more than 50%. But for the sake of this, we'll say 50%. Then they uh, influence another 25 to 30%. Now you're up to 80%. Because, you know, if you're a guy and you're married and you want to buy, let's just say, well, anything, and, and your wife says, no, that's not coming in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know? Okay. So, yeah, then you talk about 75 80% of the market that they're basically uh, making the decision uh, or influencing the decision on, on on what is going, what a given household is uh, is going to drive, or you know, be the primary vehicle. Uh, and and let's say I think that uh, it's that notion or, or that fact mm -hmm. that uh, is kind of driving the switch to uh, you know crossovers and and sport utilities. Because see, there's one thing, women. Uh, it's been you know there are studies that show. Women like to sit higher mm -hmm. because by from sitting higher, you get the feeling of uh, safety because okay. you're a little bit higher on the road. You can see a little bit better. Uh, most of the time, crossovers, although it's beginning to change, most of the time, sport utilities are a little bit bigger. That also conveys safety. And when it comes to, you know, uh, and I hate to sound sexist, uh, and I don't think it is sexist, but women care a little bit more about safety. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you can make, you know, if you can make women feel safe uh, in terms of when they're driving, uh, that that goes a long way in terms of uh, in terms of their uh, purchase decisions, you know. Uh, and and uh, not that all of them have it, but you know, when you're talking about crossovers, you're talking about all-wheel drive. Mm -hmm. Although most vehicles with all-wheel drive are not, mm -hmm. uh, because the funny thing, most vehicles with all-wheel drive are really front-wheel drive okay. until the tires get stuck. Mm -hmm. You know, those front tires start spinning, then some of that torque goes to the back. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, so all-wheel drive is better, you know, in, in a sense of real inclement weather. Uh, 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 the next best thing is uh, front-wheel drive, mm -hmm. and not all uh, not rear-wheel drive. It's front-wheel drive. Uh, it's that the next best thing because you've got the weight of the engine pressing down on the tires, mm -hmm. which gives you a little bit more traction. Right. You get a chance to test drive these vehicles uh, year in, year out over the course of your career. Currently, what vehicles have impressed you the most? Well, 
you know, now you ask me to give you a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't give me a commercial. <laughs> but, you know, I'll ask you a question, uh, uh, you know, in terms of what has impressed me, to, what's impressing me the most right now, mm-hmm. let's just say the last two years, mm-hmm. would be Volvos. Okay. Uh, and, uh, yeah, their style a certain way, so on and so forth. Uh, but Volvo is a small, comparatively, mm-hmm. Volvo is now owned by a Chinese company called Geely. But still, in and of itself, Volvo is a small company. Uh, what they've done is uh, they've switched to four-cylinder engines. Uh, they're either turbocharged or supercharged. They, uh, or they're putting what they call putting uh, electricity to them mm-hmm. in terms of uh, hybrids, plug-in hybrids, uh, and this sort of thing. So what that does is, is basically it cuts down cost because they're not dealing with a lot of engines. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got one engine block, that mm-hmm. four-cylinder. And uh, uh, they're, they're getting performance out of it. Uh, I was in a Volvo uh, oh, last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there was a plug-in hybrid. It was 415 horsepower. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's that's very good. Volvo says <clears throat> that by 2020, uh, they're going to electrify their entire product line. And what they're doing is they're putting themselves in a position to uh, to take advantage of the fact that one day, oil is going to run out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're trying to get ahead of the curve. Yeah, they're trying to get ahead of the curve. And I think right now they're doing the best job of getting ahead of the curve because, I mean, I mean, engine development is a tremendous cost mm-hmm. in terms of engine development. Well, now they got one block. You know, mm-hmm. They uh, opened a plant here in South Carolina, so now they've got a manufacturing footprint uh, of here. They opened a plant in China, and they've got a plant, of course, in Sweden, their home market. So that gives them a manu- uh, kind of a global manufacturing uh, uh, block, and they've got a good. They always had a good reputation. There was a there was a stint there where uh, they didn't have a lot of product because you know there was an ownership question and this kind of thing. So they, eight nine years maybe, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't have a lot of product, but uh, but they caught a break. Nobody was uh, downing them or ragging them or really overly criticizing them because they always had a good reputation in the market. We're talking earlier before we start recording this interview about ownership of vehicles. This generation, you say, are not really into old school owned vehicles. Uh, no, uh, you know, uh, as as we were talking, I was saying, you know, in my generation, maybe in the generation just after me, a right of passage was a driver's license. Today, the right of passage is a smartphone. Okay, right. <laughs> That's what it is. You know, so one of the things that manufacturers are coming up with, you know, because at first there was the whole thing about connectivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's where Bluetooth came from, you know, in terms of in cars, mm-hmm. uh, looking for ways to connect with the younger buyers. You know, uh, a lot of times I, I remember uh, who was he was a designer for Cadillac or, you know, he was general manager of Cadillac, but this was years ago. Uh, one, you know, told me uh, one time, he says, well, you know, when uh, he says uh, uh, at, at this point, he says quality is, 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 is a given, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, in, in terms of the luxury market, you're not going to uh, get buyers because of the quality of your cars. Everybody's got a good quality. Right. He says, uh, but who's going to be successful is the, is, is the manufacturer who takes the best care of the customer in the first 100,000 miles. Mm-hmm. That was his take. Uh, and, I, and I don't think he was wrong. And I think uh, for a minute... Uh, manufacturers thought that the most successful manufacturer, I'm just talking about electric cars, I'm talking about them all, was the manufacturer who provided the best connectivity mm-hmm. for the buyer. 
because uh, uh, young buyers, millennials, and, and I forget, is it Generation X? I, I think it is. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Basically, they want to be connected all the time. Gotcha. You know, mm -hmm. so it's about who provides the best uh, connectivity, and that includes uh, Bluetooth in terms of being able to to uh, use the phone and you know hands free, mm -hmm. uh, the USB uh, thing. Now you got streaming. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's streaming for a hot minute there. There was uh, there was uh, what am I thinking? Uh, you could stream movies. You mm -hmm. can still stream movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they just they they just don't publicize this as much because it's kind of like we're gonna yeah we're gonna advertise driving our car and looking at the movie <laughs> so so that that'll go together yeah but and so now I think since people really don't care about uh, I won't say don't care but they're not as uh you know it's not as as much of a goal to own your car they said well okay we'll lease it to you. Okay, but they had been leasing cars, but now they've got something new. Uh, we're just beginning to see the uh, uh, the cutting edge or the tip, as uh, 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 is, is they're calling it, subscriptions. Mm -hmm. And they call it a subscription. You play, <clears throat> excuse me, you pay one flat fee, which to me is, is kind of, a, I won't say astronomical, but seems kind of high. But, you know, I'm cheap. <laughs> yes. mm -hmm. but uh, but still and and uh, it takes care of everything you play one fat fee it takes care of the car note or mm -hmm. you know the monthly fee for the car mm -hmm. takes care of the insurance okay mm -hmm. takes care of the insurance takes care of the maintenance costs mm -hmm. implicit in that is you're bringing it back to you know wherever you, you know in terms of the dealership to get get uh, to get maintenance so the thing about it is, is the only thing in theory that you have to pay for it's gasoline, and they call it mm -hmm. a subscription. <clears throat> Depending on who it is, uh, uh, again, I hate to use Volvo, but you know it's, that's the one that comes to mind. Volvo has a plan. They call it, I think they call it Care by Volvo. You pay $1,100 a month, and it takes care of all that, and, and it's for a two-year deal. Uh, at the end of 12 months, <clears throat> you can trade up to any other Volvo you want, you know, and, and that... Yeah, but it's they call it a subscription, uh, and I and I think <clears throat> I'm not talking about Volvo per se. I'm talking about all of them. But basically, it's a lease because you do not own the car. Right. You know, at the end of that two years. Uh, is there any mileage uh, stipulations? Yeah. Volvo Volvo's is fifteen thousand miles per year. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I you know just on the program because I went on both programs uh, in, in the same week uh, the Lexus UX. They're not calling theirs a subscription. They're, they're just forgetting, you know, it's kind of like you see this pool. Mm -hmm, <laughs> and you kind of dip, dab your toe in to see how cold the water is. And so I think that's what Lexus is doing. I forget what they call their program, but it's, uh, it's some sort of lease. Mm -hmm. But it's the same thing. It's two years. Uh, the subscription, and I'm, I'm calling it a subscription, uh, takes care of everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, include and see that everything to me, uh, 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 insurance is a big ticket item right. here, because you know we've got the highest. Michigan has the highest uh, insurance uh, in the country, insurance rates in the country. Detroit has the highest insurance rates in the state, so that means Detroit has the highest insurance rates everywhere. Frank S. Washington, managing partner and editor of AboutThatCar.com. 
we will continue our conversation on next week's program. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as to future In Black America programs, email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard us over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at kut.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm John L. Hanson, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.